3: Indeed, the times are a changing. What the latest Star Wars news, you gotta pick up the latest issue of Playboy magazine. Yes! News coming out of Playboy, news coming out of Vegas. This ain't your granddaddy's Star Wars anymore, kids. Not your eight-year-old Star Wars. Uh, that's right, JJ Abrams talking about Star Wars in the latest issue of Playboy, also. Some news out of Las Vegas about the Star Wars sequels and the standalone films. Tracy Morgan, who's actually on tour, coming to Cleveland, as a matter of fact, later this spring, he's in the news. He's talking about the Star Wars sequels and uh, Dark Horse. Very interesting project on the horizon, announced from them recently, and... uh, Also, C2E2 coming up, the annual convention in Chicago, and we'll have news about RFR's appearance there, and we will pay tribute to a fallen admiral. Shocking news, shocking news. I'm a day late on this, saw it this morning, and um, really, really bummed at uh, the loss in our Star Wars family. But, not to uh, start on a downer, certainly. Uh, Introductions in order if you're new to the program. You are in the right place if you're here to listen to some Star Wars talk. This week's show for April 19th, 2013. My name is Jason, and with me, my good friend and yours, from Chicago, Jimmy Mack.
1: Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Yeah, you're right, Jason. We did get some sad news about a, a death in the Star Wars family. Admiral Motti Richard Laparmentier is no longer with us. He passed away earlier this week. We will be paying tribute to him later in this show. We certainly have many fond memories of Richard. <laughs> I mean, just great memories. And uh, yeah. and uh, we're so happy we were able to cross paths with him a few times over the year. Myself, personally, uh, especially had a lot of fun with uh, Richard. So uh, we'll be talking about our experiences with him later in the show. And, and Jason, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the Playboy magazine thing. Um we spread the news about JJ Abrams giving an exclusive interview to Playboy magazine and we started spreading the word on the various social media network platforms and uh you know right away of course oh rfr pervs you know that kind of thing because <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. No, see, JJ is out there
3: promoting Star Trek. And where do you go to promote Star Trek? Of course, you go where the Trekkies are Playboy Magazine. They've got them stuffed oh under God. their mattresses.
1: When I was a child, <laughs> well, not that young a child, maybe an early teenager. I stumbled across an issue of Playboy magazine back in the uh, early 80s, and they had a girl from Star Trek in the magazine. She was in a Who? an episode. Janice Harry Rand? Buxton. No, 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 not a regular. Uh-huh. She was uh, on an alien planet of beautiful space babes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know. That right, narrows she, it down. <laughs> right, <laughs> but of course, Kirk seduced her. Still right. not narrowing it down. Right. But uh, what I remember from her is she had just like very big hair, fair, esque almost, mm. you know. And she was wearing this tight wrap around silver top, halter top sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I'll never mm-hmm. forget it. And there was a poster you could purchase of her wearing that top and one without. Oh, and that's wow. that's which one did Judy you Mac- get? <laughs> well that was the day little jimmy mac became a man let's just say ah, uh beat right. me up indeed so um <laughs> but, but no i'm I'm back to my original point though you know uh-huh. we get you know it, it, it's like our fault that jj J. abrams has done an interview with playboy magazine because once we start getting out it's like oh i see where rebel force radio is getting all their news from oh and then God's you know sake. The obligatory, you know, wow, this is the first time I'm actually reading an article in Playboy. You know, right, <laughs> right. Well, I was actually, I got the link and
3: uh, I clicked on it at work. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm engrossed in reading the interview. And all of a sudden I start looking at some of the banner ads. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I forgot all about the interview. But then it dawned on I- me that I'm reading this at work. And, you know, I don't know if any alarms went off anywhere in the IT office. Well, they're probably reading the same thing. <laughs> Tell you the truth, those guys. But uh at any rate, it was an interesting experience. And yes, that is true. I was actually reading the article in this case. So let's get right to it. We got all kinds of news. Plus Chris Mock joining us later on in the program. But um we've got lots of things to talk about here on Rebel Force Radio.
0: I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news.
3: By the way, I just want to put a warning out to anybody who uh, Jimmy Mack has um, ever assaulted verbally on the program we've lost Roger Ebert now Richard Leparment here, so I have this theory that Jimmy Mack is taking out all of his enemies Godfather <laughs> style one at a time.
1: <laughs> well, God, yeah, you know of course, we mourn their loss, and we feel sorry that they've yes. passed away, but there is a a strange uh Similarity, our (laughs) our, you know our personal relationship. I mean, let's face it, we've never really had friction with anyone who's ever been on the show or even been a subject you know, matter of this show, but, um, with Roger and, and Richard, we both kind of took it to them a little bit and, uh, God bless them both. They, uh, did not back down and never did. No. And, uh, you'll be hearing audio examples of, uh, some of those run-ins we had with uh, Richard LaParment here later in the show. It's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. They were great
3: foils and they, they both actually played along quite nicely and, uh, no, there was never any animosity. I don't think, um, and, uh, is, but, but a coincidence. Nonetheless, there was a connection between the two, Roger and Richard. But um, anyway, Jimmy Mack, your interview with Dave Filoni from uh, last week, or was it two weeks ago now? A couple, weeks, a couple ago. weeks ago. A couple weeks ago. This was sort of the Season 5 wrap-up interview, which is an annual event here on our Star Wars podcast. Uh, Dave- I, I got
1: to say, Dave Filoni is a guy who we really have never butted heads with. As a matter of fact, we look up to him as the leader of the Wolf Pack. But Dave does have this odd quality in his personality where he wants to pit you against me sometimes. Does he Really? Kind
3: of I, really?
1: You had to have noticed this, yes, yes. I do, t- I, well, I do feel that I'm his favorite. You know, you I, definitely his I, favorite. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. <laughs> I've, I've actually spent more time with Dave. You know, yeah, like right. Personal- I, 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 right, I think it's because I'm more of a mystery. I'm mysterious, <laughs> yes. right? Like he's me he's used to me and sick of me but you're like exotic for some reason you're the only exotic thing in ohio actually no no kidding well i think you know we're both uh
3: midwest boys i don't know what it is but i like to think that i'm dave's favorite but anyway your great interview with dave filoni where dave did confirm uh that he is going to remain involved in star wars animation
2: um at at this point I'm involved in some early uh, production discussions and uh, exploration of you know what we'll be doing with animation and Star Wars in the future, which is really exciting for me. And um, you know, I have some uh, friendly faces around me, of course, that are that are helping me uh, on 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 the the project. So you know, it's 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 just transition time, as I've said before, and and I think it you know will lead to an exciting time and. Um hopefully I'll, I'll see things grow again.
3: Yeah, it's you get the sense, and I wanted to mention this a, a couple of weeks ago, but you get the sense that in a lot of ways, Dave's kind of saying, not starting from scratch, but kind of starting from scratch a little bit. And you know, they had so much built, so many assets, so many... They were at the point, Jim, with Clone Wars that they could pretty much do anything they wanted. I remember growing with these guys and hearing about, oh, we got to do rain. We got to do this. We got to do water. And to watch them overcome all of those challenges and then to kind of hear this where they're, you know, in a way back to the drawing board, though, as Dave says, he does have some familiar faces around to To help him, but um, the rumors about a new animated series being helmed by Dave Filoni got a little bit thicker with a mystery post on the IMDb message boards, which may actually reveal some pretty big details about the animated series,
1: the to be determined animated series. Yeah, that's right, Jason. It all started with a post from ZillaJ23, who got the news from Rebel Force Radio that it is confirmed that Dave Filoni is working on a future Star Wars animated series. And ZillaJ says, well, I'm not getting my hopes up yet after the last announcement, but this sounds like some very promising news if he's working on the new Star Wars animated series. That was followed up by another post by a guy named Phantasmographer. And this was posted on Saturday, April 6th. Phantasmographer claims to be an industry insider. And he claims he was working at Lucasfilm. And he says, might be talking about this. We've been working on details of it since early last year, but didn't know the details until a few months ago. Whatever the hell that means. Got the green light in January, but stopped everything when the layoffs hit. I could probably get in trouble, but oh, wait, I don't work there anymore. Who knows if this is the project, though? Everything was DICE. Mm-hmm. And then, then he posts up these JPEGs of a six or five, five page, one, two, three. Actually, it's three pages, five pages with the uh, cover page and title page. But the content's all within three typewritten pages about a new Star Wars animated series called Star Wars Reclamation. And just to give you an idea of what this is all about, according to this show pitch, uh, could be pages Concept, from uh, a show Bible, maybe, or some show sort Bible, right, right, right. But um, uh, in these pages, it says uh, the overview of the series is as follows. Reclamation is a character driven war epic. Set in the storied Star Wars universe, making use of decades of media's influence. It will be an all new story designed to introduce the audience to themes and characters pivotal to episode seven and beyond. The show will feature a core assembled cast of new and familiar characters and explore their internal and collective struggles against the backdrop of a galaxy-spanning war. Yada, yada, yada. So much like the Clone Wars, it will feature the core group of characters, but it will branch off and show other stories of this post-war story set in the Star Wars universe. Um, 15 years post-Return of the Jedi, by the way. 15 years have passed since Return of the Jedi and the death of Anakin Skywalker. The Galactic Empire has been beheaded for over a decade, but a state of civil war continues. The Rebel Alliance has succeeded in restoring Republic control over many key sectors, but pockets of resistance endure the galaxy over. The Union of Imperial Loyalists, a loose alliance of systems loyal to the Empire's cause, refuses to cease hostilities until Coruscant is surrendered and abandoned. Numerous treaties have been proposed, but all and in failure, so you you get the the idea of, of what is the the prime uh, backdrop
3: mm-hmm. for
1: this mm-hmm. set fifteen years afterwards now now here 's where it gets really wild. Oh, well, we get references to uh, level thirteen thirteen of course which was to be something that was going to be recurring through all Star Wars media moving forward prior to the Disney purchase. But here are the characters. Sky Bonteri. That name sounds familiar. That's a familiar last name, isn't it? Uh, Sky is descended from a dynasty of influential politicians. He refused his family's wishes for him to run for the Senate and instead ran away from home to join the Jedi Monastery. Hmm. So uh, we see that the Jedi's, uh, you know, just by seeing the word monastery, they are uh, once again uh, returned to their uh, their their um, monk like ways. Monk. Yeah, I guess monk like ways would be the way to say it. And um, so uh, so uh, seem uh, a little odd, though, to you that term. Monastery
3: as as opposed to temple. Monastery is not a Star Wars word. Well, you can compare it to a monastery, sure. But it's not a Star Wars word.
1: I guess, but you know, this is just a, a pitch or a early development for something. You know, maybe they come up with a name for it. You know, some sort of Star Wars esque name. But that's just sort of the 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 feeling they're trying to convey in this this pitch or
3: Well, okay, you know, let me ask you this. Are you assuming because I am That any pitch that was written, and this is date stamped November of 2012, that George would have been involved in this. I'm assuming that George would have been involved. Well, so I, if that's the case, I want to hear George like concepts and George like words. You know what I mean?
1: Well, here's, here's a. Just looking for clues. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take an opposite approach on that because this is if if the date is correct and this actually is legit, this is being written post Disney sale, and it's quite possible that right after the ink was dry on the paperwork transferring the uh, Star Wars IP to Disney's control, that they immediately started to look in house and ask certain writers. That they've worked with on other animated series to present them with pitches for a new direction to take Star Wars animation, and but so they would have had this- to have given,
3: in order for this to be accurate, with the trajectory of where the series was headed with respect to Episode Seven, they would have had to have shared some of those details of Episode Seven
1: with these. Writers. That's right. Yeah, and Disney has complete control over the scripts and outlines at at this point and and at that point when this was being developed. I mean, this could have been written overnight by someone, you know, to try to get something. Parts of
3: it sound like it was written overnight.
1: Yeah, well, you know, um, there are many people who are professional writers in Hollywood and beyond who have considered what they would do with the Star Wars franchise if they ever got a chance to do something with it. And, uh, you know, they can commit this stuff to paper really fast. Um, maybe a few tidbits from the episode seven scripts were given to these writing candidates is in an effort to give them a, a direction to go into. Sure, sure. You know, so they that were,
3: they're not just shooting blind.
1: Right, right. Maybe they were just blind. given some bullet points. Shooting blind. Right. <laughs> bullet points to. <laughs> yeah. um, to develop an idea or to take whatever existing ideas they might have and mold them into the right, the right shape. So you're saying so, that this is
3: the, the vision most likely you think, and we're all just guessing here, but that yeah, this yeah, would yeah. be the vision of uh, an individual or a couple of individuals
1: and outside of uh, George's guidance. Yeah, okay. I, I think definitely so. And I, I the reason I think that is uh, because a Phantasmographer, um, former Lucasfilm uh, employee. Allegedly. I, I assume, yeah, allegedly. I assume he worked with Lucas Animation. But he does say that this series got the green light in January. Mm. So I find that interesting. But everything stopped when the layoffs hit, and the layoffs hit just within the last month. So... Uh, so you'd have to assume then there's a lot of concepts floating around for this particular series. Should this information that we're reporting here is legit?
3: Uh-huh. You know, the other yeah. thing that, that kind of leads me to believe that this is either a, a, a total fake or that we're not going to see this mm-hmm. is the Terry. You know, what we're seeing is evidence of Disney sort of drawing a line in the sand and saying, "Okay, there's the prequel era and there's the Clone Wars and then there's and that does not fit into what we want to do. So this this shows I mean, this has evidence of there being a desire to borrow and connect this series with what has come before i.e., Lux Bontieri and this other character. And I, I just don't see that as being a, a, a priority, especially for a main character. And based on what we're reading here, this synopsis, it would, put, it would elevate that character to probably one of the lead characters. Now, would I personally like to see that kind of continuity? Absolutely, it'd be wonderful. But I just, that's where I, I have a hard time buying this as legit.
1: You know what? um, We were talking about whether or not George could have his fingerprints on something like this. And uh, I have to revise my analysis of the origin of this because Phantasmographer, as I reread his original post, he says, we've been working on details of this since early last year. So that means early 2012, long before the sale was announced. George was aware probably at that point that he was going to sell Lucasfilm to Disney, but it wasn't public knowledge. Nobody knew at that point. Um... So they've been working on details of it since early last year, but didn't know the details until a few months ago. See, that was that – I read that sentence. I goes, I said, whatever that means. But now I'm, I'm looking closer at it, and I'm, I'm able to see it with a little more clarity. What he's saying is that they were working on concepts. This guy is probably an artist, so an animator, okay? So there might have been some concepts he was developing, but he didn't really know what it was for. And then he finally saw this this pitch, this, you know, outline – this description, overview, he finally saw this overview in November and said, that's what we've been working on. Because that's kind of the way things work over there at Lucasfilm. Mm. You'll, you'll be told to work on something and you're not really sure exactly what it is you're supposed to be looking or working on. So sure. So there you, you there, you have it. That's what I think he meant by that statement. So they started working on this in well, early here's a Here's a
3: question. Here's a question.
1: We know that George had
3: already committed to doing a new Star Wars series, beginning with Episode Seven, prior to the Disney sale. So the hiring of Michael Arndt, was that, was that George? Was that Disney? Yes.
1: Oh, that was George. That was George. George. Had, yeah. We know that. Yes, George had the outlines. He hired Kathleen Kennedy early summer 2012. They brought in Arndt at around the same time to develop these outlines into scripts. Outlines from George Lucas himself. Several of them, by the way. They hired Arndt to work on specifically episode seven. And they brought in a bunch of other writers, too. They brought in Kimmen, They brought in Kasdan. They brought in probably several other writers that we don't even know about at this point in time because they all signed NDAs. Well, see, now I'm so, starting to buy this is legit, maybe. There were several scripts in development for many things in Lucasfilm back in 2012. I just and, think that the Bon Terry thing.
3: Yeah. That smells of George. And I don't mean okay, in a bad well, way. I'm just saying that, oh, to me, is evidence
1: that, as you said, George's fingerprints are on this. And let's talk a little bit about the character. Where did he come from? He has Jedi power. Could he be the love child of Ahsoka Tano and Lux Bonteri? Mm. Maybe. Maybe that's the, uh, you know, maybe we can, we can jump to a conclusion there. He
3: might have made Where, an honest woman out of her. It might not have been love child. Okay. Could have Fine. been child proper.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I guess. I guess. I,
3: I mean, it's I a lot am. hotter to think otherwise, but that's, <laughs>
1: that's... Well, you know... Okay, you know why I...
3: I I'm Love so child.
1: What is this, dynasty? You know why, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm conditioned to think that way, because I am used to the character of Ahsoka being the one who had given her entire life as a commitment to the Jedi Order. Mm. I still have not grown accustomed with the idea that Ahsoka had walked away from that order. So, anything she does, any sort of relationship she has, I still view as something being scandalous, you know? Ah, right, and right, she right. was definitely influenced by Anakin Skywalker, who... <laughs> now, talk about a Jedi scandal. Well, she's left the order. So, she's, she's, she's,
3: she's, she's free. So you're, absolutely,
1: you're absolutely right, Jason. I have to adjust my thinking here you to do. the modern day of- Wars. Ahsoka is no longer a Jedi. I miss my little Padawan. And I think it's very likely that she would have sought out Lux after
3: leaving the temple. He's really the only connection she has beyond the the Jedi.
1: Well, if that name jumps out at you, how about this one? Kala Kala Calrissian. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. (laughs) Rebellious (laughs) Rebellious <laughs> and hungry for adventure, Kala stole her first ship from Imperial loyalists and completed her first successful smuggling run the day of her thirteenth birthday. Now fifteen, and teamed with her towel sidekick Muffy, <laughs> Muffy, she finds herself <laughs> on croissant with an odd job, odd job. Odd job. Long <laughs> franchise. The- it's all crossing over now. On the day of the 1313 Uprising. Mm. So there's a, an underworld uprising that's part of this, uh, this premise. And uh, other familiar names, Leia Organa, of course, political leader, legendary war veteran. Leia has been instrumental in aiding the restoration effort.
3: She's the vice uh, chair, by the way. The, the Supreme Chancellor is Mon Mothma in this concept. Yes.
1: Yes, and recently she's had other things on her mind, namely the fragile cover-up of her relation to Anakin Skywalker, as well as her, her attempts to ward off other scandalous, there you go, scandalous indiscretions. Ooh, now, this is an past. interesting concept. Uh, scandalous indiscretions from her past. I think there's one scandalous indiscretion that we're all thinking of right now, and he hangs out with a seven-foot-tall Wookiee. Get this walking carpet out of my way. This is insinuating that things don't work out between the princess and the smuggler. It very well could. And also this idea of
3: covering up her relation to Anakin Skywalker. Now, why would it be? You know, you have to assume, you know, she's a hero at this point. She's a legend. Uh, Luke is a legend. So why would it be a liability for her to be outed and public about her Skywalker lineage? Why would that be a political liability? Well, they could assume the sins of the father. I mean, think of our own political environment where, you know, a candidate could be ruined by a skeleton, not just in their own closet, but. Uh, certainly in the skeleton, you know, skeleton in the closet of a brother, a sister, a father, a mother. So, though, it's all pretty much out in the open, or is it? Or with the death of Darth Vader, does it come out that that was Anakin Skywalker? Very interesting to think about, all of these concepts.
1: My head's spinning, Jimmy Mack. Okay, this just in. We have an update to the story. It was uh, TFN who brought us this story, and now TFN, they reached out to Tracy Canobio, and Tracy is claiming that it's not real, it's a fake.
3: Why would Tracy, Tracy has no, you know, she can say it's a, because I don't think, here's the deal, this is never going to happen, this script, this concept, it's been scrapped since the layoffs, so she can call it a fake even if it wasn't a fake. I guess you're right. What would she have said if it wasn't a fake? And by the way, they don't have a reputation of telling us the
1: truth. They have out and out lied before about stuff. But, you know, we have this in front of us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to, fun to just, talk about. Yeah, it's fun to tear through it and talk about sure. it. Because, I mean, what if, what if some of the, like, the elements of this thing actually do come to fruition? Sure. But I also
3: love what you point out about, you know, we just assume that the princess and her smuggler live happily ever after. But that's not a foregone conclusion. And I like that perhaps, you know, you think about the fact that she has to cover up her relationship, Jim, to Anakin. Well, what what about Han Solo? I mean, this is not a guy who's necessarily squeaky clean. This is a guy who's committed crimes. Right, this guy is uh, has a death sentence, or well, had a I death think it was sentence whole- by by by
1: gamblers and gangsters. It was a very extreme circumstance that brought Han and, and Leia together. It would have never happened without the backdrop of war. Right, um, the the princess herself probably saw something forbidden in a relationship with Han Solo. And was attracted to that. Yeah, you know, nothing living... attracts a chick
3: like the guy the bad boy. The bad guy. The rebel. The guy in the
1: leather jacket on the motorcycle, and that's Han Solo. That's Han Solo. And she was in a circumstance where she was away from all the in circumstance and and um Whoever's and protocol... gonna piss off dad most, that's who they right. like. Well, she doesn't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> well <there's>... So uh <laughs> but uh I feel something terrible has happened. Now, you know what? Um, I said this was a three-page treatment, but I just discovered there was a, there's a fourth page that I did not put in our little show rundown, so I'm adding that right now, because here we get into some really it. interesting stuff. So what we're talking about is an additional character who doesn't have a name. He simply goes by The Shade. Very pulpy, very pulpy. Mm. The Shade, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by a hermit and others a demon. The Shade has become a legend throughout both the Republic and Union worlds. Seen leading attacks against forces on both sides, but never harming a soul. The Shade defends the weak and feeds the poor. Armed with nothing but a lightsaber and an astromech droid, the Shade is clad in black and hides behind a veil of mystery.
3: Well, I'll give you ten guesses who that is, and the first nine don't count. Look, look, look. He has that too man, much wow. of Robin Hood in him. Uh what an amazing
1: yeah. way to develop the character of Lucas. A Skywalker. very
3: cool con- I have to say, giving making him sort of a shadow type character. Also, this sounds very George Lucas to me with With the whole serial, pulpy influence that George has, almost making Luke a superhero, a batman-like hero. however, why would well, I mean we, we know that this Bon character is a member of the for lack of a better term, New Jedi Order. So why would Luke Luke why would he? Luke! Why would he have to live in
1: hiding? What I happens? Guess. Okay, well, there's a few things that could happen. Uh, galaxy-wide prejudice against the Jedi, going back to the Clone Wars, perhaps. <clears throat> Maybe the fact that the Jedi have to work outside the system because he needs to be working as a vigilante to be able to get the job done because he realized working within the system doesn't work. Possibly. Robin Hood. Yeah. The shadow. The shadow. No, the no, shade. The shade. Right,
3: right. But, I mean, it's it's very shadow-like, you know, the cloak.
1: I wonder if he wears shades. Who knows be, what evil you, lurks in the heart of Sith? The shade knows. So this is a lot of fun. As we said, uh, since uh, this story was discovered on IMDb, it's since been uh, refuted by Lucasfilm. But uh, you know what? Really interesting concepts within these pages, and it is quite possible that this was something being developed outside the knowledge of uh, people at Lucasfilm who are commenting on this at this point. It's, uh, it could be uh, possible. Uh, it, it, it's definitely possible. It's not what David Filoni has been developing for. David. It's so formal. I David. That was very formal. I've never yeah. called him David. Or David. But his mom calls him David. Well, so, uh, so you know, uh, David. He, <laughs> he's. I'm gonna just call him David all the time. What, what do you think his uh, middle name is? Do we know? The Pony, <laughs> David the Pony Voloni. The Pony, the Pony. But um, pony. but you know, it's it's really interesting that because I mean th- th- these could be flying out, out of you know any any sources that have been uh, let go of from lucasfilm and and we know that there are projects uh, oftentimes within the corporate structure not only at lucasfilm but in show business and in all walks of life where there are people who have the title spokesperson and they don't know that <laughs>
3: that these, all uh, these i know uh, is, is i'm thinking about an animated series where there's a bolt of lightning a clap of thunder and you see a mysterious black cloaked individual with a lightsaber and trailed by an astromech droid and
1: i am in baby i am in so right there that's your coolest concept of this uh this premise for a a television series bring it on bring it on Jason sure likes it. Um, We don't know. Maybe, you know, only time will tell if we actually do end up seeing elements of this in a future Star Wars television show or film. Then we'll know whether or not this was legit. But but I sure like it. And I I, I really enjoy the concept of Luke being out there stealing from the rich, giving to the poor, fighting for what's right and doing so uh, under a veil of mystery, an anonymous shroud. Get in, get out. Don't wait around for people to shake your hand. Sounds kind of like a Marvel Comics character to me. If you really want to know the truth, so uh, very interesting, very interesting. It and, is uh, indeed. Uh, it is and indeed. And, and just you know, just by uh, providing analysis of of this, uh, uh, you know, whether it be a hoax or whether it be the real thing, it's just fun to talk about it. We have to take advantage of this time because fast forward a
3: year or so from now, we're going to know it all. We're going to know it all. So this huh. is the time to kind of have wide eyes and wonder. You know, I, I, we've got Chris Mock coming on later in the program. And, and, and one of the things, Jim, that you say in the documentary about would you like to go back and, and relive it all as a as an eight-year-old? And you say, you know, there was something really magical about that time because there was so much wonder. There was so much to wonder about, so much to think about. And... That's kind of like it is right now. The the sky's the limit. It really is. So we're going to have plenty of time to analyze from a standpoint of knowing. Right now, it's just kind of fun to look at that pie in the sky and analyze and think outside of that. So anyway, one thing we do know as a result of an announcement made at CinemaCon today as the show is recorded. Disney and Lucasfilm revealed that beginning in 2015 with Star Wars Episode 7, yes, they're still holding to that 2015 date, there will be a Star Wars movie every summer following the release of Episode 7 in summer 2015. Now, this is the first time that we've had any kind of official confirmation that we're looking at a summer 2015. Release now, many of us sort of assumed that they would keep up with the tradition of releasing the Star Wars films in late May. But, uh, Jim, where I come from, May ain't summer, May is spring.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, hell, where I come from, it snows sometimes in May. Oh, stop it. That Memorial Day weekend is the unofficial kickoff of the summer season, both in the real world and in the movie world. Not Your according world, to... It's snowing in May. When, when is it ever snowed in May in Ohio? Never. In Chicago, I'm sure
3: probably, I, I'm going to look that up. But
1: what I'm saying
3: is, according to the lunar schedule, summer is not
1: until June. Right. But you know that they, the summer season kicks off with all the blockbusters starting to show up in cinemaplexes even prior to... To Memorial Day. It's usually the beginning of May now. at The beginning of May this year, we're going to see releases of the Star Trek, the Iron Man. You know, we're going to start seeing those summertime blockbuster popcorn films showing up.
3: All right. All, say right the beginning all right. All right. All right.
1: Okay. Yeah. All, right, all right. Not
3: saying that that's not the case, but, yeah, but uh, it, is, have- it is exciting to actually hear a season. Now, we have a season. We, first, we were given a year. Then we were given a writer. Then we were given a director. Now we have a season. So here's what we know. 2015, Michael Arndt, J.J. Abrams, summer. So, But what they're saying here at CinemaCon is that there will be a Star Wars film released every year following summer 2015. And they're going to alternate. Jim, this is something that we called right here on... Rebel Force Radio, following the model set forth by the Avengers and the standalone films within the Marvel Universe, they're going to alternate between standalone films and this new trilogy. Now, they're not saying that they're going to do, say, Episode 7, standalone Episode 8, standalone Episode 9. We
1: might actually still have. It does say that. No, uh... no, no, it doesn't. Second paragraph: J.J. Abrams' episode seven will come first in summer 2015, and will be followed every summer after with another new Star Wars movie, alternating. Right?
3: I just read that. I just read that. What I'm saying, they're not saying that it's going to be one, the other, one, the other, one, the other. You might have a span like you did, like you are, like we're having right now between the two Avengers films. You might have a couple of standalones. They're still going to be released in the summer, but I'm I'm going to guess that the the proper numerated Star Wars films will
1: have at least two, maybe three years between them with the standalone, two years. It says alternating between the standalone films and the new trilogy alternating,
3: right? Alternating. But that doesn't necessarily mean one year. One. It does. It doesn't mean that they're going to do episode seven, standalone, episode eight, standalone, episode nine. You could have episode seven standalone, another standalone, episode eight, Another
1: standalone, another standalone, episode nine. No, I think what they're saying here is it's going to be episode seven. Yeah, you wish. And then, epi- and then standalone film, the Boba Fett film maybe in uh, 20, uh, 2016. Then 2017, we'll see episode eight. That's how they want to do it. They don't want three years between the films. They want it to be every other year. How do you know? Want-
3: you don't I- know. You have no idea. None From- of us
1: know. Uh,
3: absolutely. What from, you got the bat from phone study- to, to Iger's office, you know what his heart's <laughs> oh, desire <you'd> is. Right?
1: <laughs> you'd be surprised at some oh, of the people. I never doubt the Mac. <laughs> no, I, I'm just, but, uh, yeah, right. I think that's the goal. I think that is the goal. I think it's every other year for the trilogy, and then here's you know, a question. We'll- think of this. Okay, okay. Th- let's
3: say let's let's take your 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 hypothesis here that it's every other year, and that they are yes. arg- they're going to alternate evenly. So you have yeah. an enumerated film within the series proper followed by one standalone and then the next uh, enumerated film. If that's the case, and we've heard there's a Jabba film, we've heard there's a Boba Fett film, a Han Solo film. We've heard about all this, at least in the case of the Avengers. And let's let's look at the, the, the Marvel Universe and the Avengers film and then the, the standalones. They all sort of take place in... The same timeline, you know what I'm saying? So they're not bouncing around showing. Now, you could you could maybe make the case uh, with Captain America that they sort of, you know, a lot of the film takes place in the past. and It's a flashback, but at least they end in the present time, which helps you to lead into the Avengers film. If we're bouncing back and now all of a sudden Jabba's alive and then Han's alive, well, not alive, but maybe he's younger, played by a different actor, and then you got a Boba Fett film,
1: do they run the risk of causing confusion for people? I I don't think so, because the mythology is pretty well established at this point. You'd recognize when you were stepping outside the proper new trilogy. Who'd recognize well, you know, here's the thing: you put a Han Solo film out there and introduce the character to a whole new audience, then you're you're driving people to go check out the original trilogy, and then getting them excited because maybe there's a way to tie in the Han Solo young film with Episode Eight. Should Han Solo appear in that one? Good maybe call. There's gonna maybe there's going to percussions. Gotcha. There, will be something that kind of ties it all together in some way, shape, and form. I follow. And makes, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. So that, that's one uh, one way I think it could work.
3: All right. I like that idea. Yeah. I like that idea that maybe there are are clues and there are things that they could, little threads that they could, uh, uh, you could discover in some, like, you know, whether it's the young Yoda flick or the young Han Solo movie or or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, very, very cool stuff. You know, I, I, you and I, Jim, we were talking online uh, earlier today about this announcement. And, and my theory is that we've had a lot of no coming out of Disney. No Clone Wars, no 1313, no Battlefront 3, no LucasArts, no Lucas, Arts, no Lucas <laughs> Animation. We've had a lot of no from them. And I think that. They were in a position where they really had to put something positive out there to get the fans excited again. And this uh, new Star Wars movie every summer.
1: Is that the answer? What do you think? Well, I think it's great to hear it um, officially being announced. I think it really paints a positive future for the franchise at this point. I know a lot of people are stinging from all the examples you had just given, Jason. And I'm very proud of fandom for making their voice heard at this time. Because you know what we're showing as a group? We're showing loyalty, not just toward the IP, but toward the actual people behind it. We respect the talent that have developed these great stories. And we respect the culture that generated the atmosphere that created these great stories and characters for all these years. And to see it dismantled, it hurts because we feel it for our friends and we feel it for the people that we admire people who are able to contribute to our lives by giving us this great entertainment. So to see it being dismantled in such a way, it does hurt. But a positive that I keep holding on to is the fact that we are going to see a very aggressive approach to Star Wars content being released on the silver screen starting in just a couple years. It's going to be even hard for us to keep up with everything that's happening in films alone. Up to this point, our podcasting and our radio shows have all been based on pretty much everything happening in the Star Wars universe, from television to films to books to comics to even collectibles and and conventions and fandom and all that stuff and we've been able to follow it now we're just going to be boom 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 hit over the head with Films. The thing that really matters the most in Star Wars to me is the story on the silver screen. That reigns supreme with me as a Star Wars fan. And to know that my fandom Jones is going to be satisfied after a 10-year wait to finally see live-action Star Wars films again, I have nothing but optimism at this point. I hear a lot of people already worrying about oversaturation, worrying about quantity over quality. And I don't think that's fair to do right now. I don't think it's fair to complain about Star Wars films before they're even made. Fandom has plenty of films that have already been released and years and years of complaining banked up. <laughs> let's just let's yeah, just, right? Try to think positively about where the future of the franchise is going. But you got to understand
3: that we are conditioned as as fans. You know, we've heard George say Uh, making those movies, you know, it's a 10-year, decade-long commitment. Every time I do another series of these movies, it takes 10 years. And so, you know, we've been conditioned that it takes, you know, that's just part of the timeline. It takes three years to make a Star
1: Wars movie. And Mm -hmm. so... I mean... Also talking about an independent filmmaker who, yes, was in charge of a corporation, but that corporation all relied on the decision-making coming from one man's office. Now we're dealing with another corporation that has um, specific people in specific departments to do specific things, and it's more of a well-oiled machine, let's just face it. And it's a bigger, broader enterprise And more capable of handling the load of more films. That's why they'll be able to knock these out in two years. Is because, I mean, let's face it, in in the Star Wars prequels, pre-production was already well underway. Full staffs were working on the films. And George still had yet to finish the scripts for these films. They were on concepts and outlines and just word you know we heard word from george that there's going to be a volcanic planet in this episode (laughs) start working on that right what's supposed to happen on it we don't know just start putting together ideas and so then george would see it was very organic approach george would see the concepts and then write them into the script you know Mm -hmm, so it was mm -hmm. a collective effort but still it was it was independent filmmaking this is, this is big time corporate stuff and there are, you know, there's a lot of responsibilities being divided up and, and you know, expert people are working in their areas of expertise. And so I just think that we're going to see the process move a lot faster than we ever did before. Star Wars by committee. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Well, we will. And it always, Star Wars by committee. Don't kid yourself. It was just one man making all the decisions.
3: A committee in his head?
1: Well, that's what bogged things down from time to time. And why Mm. it took a long time for things to get produced and released. Right. Because it did all come across George's desk. And, you know, while there's a lot of charm in that, and while that has been a a big part of the culture that has made Star Wars work up to this point, moving forward, it's going to be different. And we just have to roll with the changes as fans. Harrison Ford made an appearance on David
3: Letterman promoting his new movie, 42, which I've yet to see him in a preview. See oh, lots?
1: I've seen him. Oh, you have? I've... Maybe I'm oh, not recognizing doing... him. You, you're not recognizing him because... Does he look different? He's doing what's... Well, he's wearing a hat, you know, he's, he's playing a, a baseball executive, Branch uh-huh. Ricky and... Um, He's often seen in these trailers and promos wearing a hat. And so maybe you're not recognizing him right away because. Not an Indiana a, Jones hat.
3: Like oh, a no, baseball he's, cap.
1: He's using a very, no, no, not a baseball hat. Just like, uh, you know, a hat that guys would wear. Like in a the fedora? In 50s. No, no, not a fedora. Get Indiana Jones out of your head. He was not walking around these baseball dugouts with a bullwhip. Well, what is he wearing in the 40s? They wore <laughs> fedoras, man. What, what was he wearing? A
3: derby? Here's the thing. Was he Oliver Hardy? Who cares what kind of
1: hat he's wearing? <laughs> I want to look for it in the preview. He's using a very peculiar hat. Accent. Oh, accent. 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 God, look, I didn't even accent. know that Harrison Ford did accents. <laughs> well, yes, he does. He's doing a voice in this one. Really? He's doing a voice, yeah.
3: Oh, I got to hear yeah. this. But he That's went on that. David Letterman back on uh, earlier this month. Uh, last week, I guess, and uh, the, of course, the subject of Star Wars, following Harrison wherever he goes. They're gonna make another
0: uh, Star Wars thing. Are you gonna be? How many of those... were those? You yeah. talking to me? How many of them were you in? You're talking to me? Yeah, were you... <laughs> they've made like a dozen of them now, haven't they? <laughs> I w- I was in. Um... I was only in three three yeah uh and, and 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 every time they make one there's talk that you'll be in a, another one a a super sequel or a yeah, but I was only ones. in three, right Do you follow what I'm saying? You don't want to be in another one Well, for a long time, they didn't ask me so you imagine how I feel yeah so I- 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 they so been- let's just let it.
3: Me, all right. Obviously, the uh, the Disney PR <laughs> machine is we we, we it silenced Hamill. By the way, I think Mark Hamill is bound and gagged in the <laughs> trunk of uh, Bob Iger. Uh, I, I, they've obviously gotten to Harrison after. They heard it right here on uh, Rebel Force Radio, Harrison Ford in Chicago promoting 42, saying, oh, I think we're all going to be in this. You know, he was really confirming that he was going to be in it, came right out and said it. Now he shows up on Letterman and he's like, let's just let it lie. Let it lie. And he makes a joke (laughs) out of the whole thing. But this is the thing that, you know, Letterman and and, and the mainstream coverage of this stuff is just
1: so maddening. Somebody,
3: "Eh, what they do, they make a dozen of these movies. It's like, come on,
1: man. Come on. He's laying the pressure on Harrison. He's trying to pressure him to get him to do something. And Harrison, very awkward he's in that exchange. He's being a douchebag and, I mean, is what he's being. Oh, Typical letterman. Um, <laughs> um, Harrison is uh, very uh, uncomfortable during this exchange, more so than he typically is, and he's always very uncomfortable. But the awkward silences and stuff, you can tell. He's just thinking to himself, well, should sure, I try to make a joke? I mean, but when the- you didn't know that this was coming. Obviously, yeah. it wasn't. This wasn't part of the uh, pre-interview, and so this <laughs> <laughs> wasn't on your little blue cards, Letterman. Oh, geez, he's winging it about the damn <laughs> oh. So but you're right, his hand has been slapped because he said too much. They know right. he's out on this promotional tour, and so you know, things are happening the way things are happening. I like how he says, Well, they haven't asked me since <laughs> <laughs> And you know, as fans, we all wanted that Harrison Ford presence in the prequels. We wanted that that snot ball, sarcastic. Uh, overconfident character the in there. The real who, world wary. Yeah, the real guy who could yeah. represent us in the Star Wars universe. We didn't yeah. get that in the prequels. and that, that may be something that that prevented the prequels from actually connecting with a certain number of fans is there wasn't that Harrison Ford character. Sure. But, you know, Sid, this goes back to a conversation we had, gosh, a couple months now. It's been a while. About. You know, it it wasn't just, you know, will Harrison Ford be in the sequel trilogy, but will Harrison Ford be in Return of the Jedi? That was a big question going on back in the uh, development process. This happened uh, with
3: El Mayimbe. You know, he was the the guy who was the first to say that, the deal was all but signed. I think he said that there was, uh, they just needed to dot some I's and cross some T's and Harrison Ford was going to be in the sequel trilogy. And he alluded to the fact that back in the day, the reason that he got frozen in carbonite at the end of Empire Strikes Back was because no one knew if he was going to sign up and be in Return of the Jedi. All the other actors had signed on for all three films, but Harrison Ford had signed film by film. And I... I got to be honest, I said I don't think that was true, and I challenged Jimmy Mack to an investigative report to see what the truth was,
1: and Jimmy Mack delivered. Thank you, Jason. I am Jimmy Mack from the Rebel Force Radio investigative report team, and we're talking about Harrison Ford in Return of the Jedi you know we we like you said Jason we were wondering uh, is, is there any truth behind this why did george freeze han solo in carbonite is, was that because they they felt like they weren't going to be able to bring harrison ford back for return of the jedi and thank god we have friends in high places especially over at delray who are hard at work right now on the incredible making of the Return of the Jedi book. It's coming out later this year, written by Jonathan Rinsler and uh, being edited by Eric Schoenweiss and the crew at Delray, Shelley Shapiro. They heard us talking about this, and they came to the rescue. Rebel Force Radio has an exclusive excerpt from the upcoming book release, The Making of the Return of the Jedi. You're not going to hear this it's,
3: anywhere else. Oh, nowhere, nowhere else.
1: This is, This is an exclusive. The topic of Harrison Ford's availability for The Return of the Jedi comes up, and it includes recollections from Lucasfilm's vice president of production at the time, Howard Kazanjian, who also served as a producer on Return of the Jedi. And Howard had this to say, quote, Fans had worried that Harrison Ford might not return as Han Solo, and though it wasn't discussed in the press, their anxiety was somewhat justified behind the scenes. Mark Hamill thought George Lucas had been smart to freeze Han Solo and Carbonite at the end of Empire. Because, unlike Hamill and Fisher, Ford hadn't signed a multi-picture contract. Now here's what Mark Hamill has to say. In case Harrison didn't want to do the film, George would have only needed him for one day to be unfrozen at the end. Billy D could have taken up the slack. Oh, what might have been? Maybe that explains why he's wearing Hans clothes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they, were, they thought we wouldn't notice. It's like when they changed out the actress on Roseanne playing the one
1: daughter. They thought we wouldn't know. Yeah, But in in this case, they would have uh, recast the one daughter with the other daughter who was already on the show. Right. Or they would have recast her as someone who's black. So, producer Howard Kazanjian went on to say, When we were doing very early thinking on Jedi, I asked, Why don't we have Harrison in this one? George said, Because he won't do it. He's only signed for two pictures. I said, What if I can get him? George said, Uh, (laughs) George said If you can get him, we'll write him into the script Howard started talking to Harrison Ford's agent Then he got to talking to Harrison Ford Went back to the agent And it was fairly simple Harrison Ford was locked and loaded for (laughs) Empire Thanks to producer Howard Kazanjian uh, This is huge, Jimmy Mack This is is
3: earth-shattering huge First of all we were this, I'm making my fingers very yeah. close together. We were this close to having no Harrison Ford, no Han Solo in Return of the Jedi. Except for at the end when they'd unfreeze him. They perhaps unfreeze him at the very end. They needed him for just one day. We'd have Billy D basically playing as Lando the Han Solo role, meaning he'd be leading the strike team on the forest moon of Endor. Mm hmm. So who's flying the aluminum
1: falcon? Just nine num himself? That see that's a very good Did question. Did they even make it that far? Because I mean, you'd have to assume that the sequence of events in Return of the Jedi would have to be flip-flopped where you'd see the raid on the bunker on Endor more toward the middle happening prior to the events at Jabba's palace. And then the film would end at Jabba's palace with Han being oh, the right. Fl- Right, gotcha. So, uh, unless they were just pictures. carrying him
3: around with him through all of this. Like, yeah, you see him kind of, like, done. lugging that
1: carbonite block through Endor? Maybe he melts because <laughs> he's on Endor. Oh, maybe maybe they, they didn't know how to unfreeze him, how to defrost him. Maybe right. they didn't know how to do it. And, they like, Lando would keep pressing those buttons on the side. Right, and, it's like when you they, get the microwave, and, like, sometimes there's a time cook button, and sometimes there's not. Right? You got to just press it. Or, yeah, maybe there was, a, like, a special code they had to punch in or something. Who knows? And so, like, yeah, they're lugging the, the carbonite block around, and, and Lando just keeps punching at those buttons. You know, I'll remember it. And he keeps punching it, and they're like, any luck, Lando? And they'll be like, no, he's still in perfect hibernation. <laughs> Come on! But, I mean, are they, like,
3: hanging hats and stuff on him? Like, he's just, right. he's, <laughs> like, up again.
1: Oh, have you ever seen the great desk, office desk? That oh. is, the it is the, the Han Solo Frozen and carbonite. Are you, carbon. are you it's, kidding it's, it's,
3: me? I, have, I, I saw it in person at Celebration 6. I, I was standing with you. I was taking photos of it, and I said, wouldn't that make the greatest console table for the palatial Rebel Force Radio Studios? It would just be awesome. Oh, it's, it's my biggest awesome. fantasy is to have the life-size honey carbonite. I would trade, I would trade my entire Star Wars collection for... The Han
1: Solo in Carbonite life size, your entire collection for one piece. Yep. Oh, that's pretty. I mean, obviously, any collector of Star Wars memorabilia—that's uh, that's one on everyone's wish list that you not have it already—is that life-size Han in Carbonite? Because, as Jabba the Hutt proves, it makes a terrific wall decoration. It does. It really? does. Yeah. You know, he even had like mood lighting on it and stuff. I Fantastic. know.
3: I know, and well, I've I've even yeah. painted the walls here in the palatial Rebel Force Radio mm-hmm. Studios a, a similar shade of kind of orangish red for yeah. when I get yeah. my life size hunting carbonite. But uh, you know, I don't have like a couple of G's just to throw down on
1: that. You do maintain that the the job of the hut standards and lifestyles. As a matter of fact, you're you're drooling green slime right now as we speak. as we speak. Yes, yes, but that's just the the gin and vodka. Talk. So <laughs> <laughs> a little more from. <laughs> A little more from the making of Star Wars yes. Return of the Jedi. An exclusive um, excerpt. Uh went back to George and said, okay, George, we got him. What are we going to do? And George simply said, uh, basically, we'll uh, defrost him. And that was it. You know, George is like you- so chill. He's like, oh, we got him. All right, well. Interesting that this was
3: not George going to the table. George wasn't the one that was demanding Harrison... Uh, Acquiesce and be in the film. It was it was Howard Kazan. This I this, this is more than a footnote in Star Wars history. This is talk about an infinities. Where's that comic? Where is the comic it, with Han Solo not being unfrozen at the beginning of Return of the Jedi and Lando Calrissian stepping into that role? That's what I
1: want to see. Maybe if I just wear his clothes, he'll call me Han. <laughs> no one will notice. Uh, I'm sorry. Into, I'm in. Climbs I mean, into bed with, with Malaya like she won't
3: know. I got She's like, when bed. did you grow a mustache? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what she notices. I'm sure that Just wouldn't be home. the
1: only thing she noticed. But uh, the, the big problem would be when he, you know, mispronounce his own name and say, hello, my name
3: is Han. Oh, the jig would be up then. And Chewy would be kind of looking real suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the way your dog looks
1: at you. You
3: know, <sighs> cocking that head. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: But, uh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much to our friends at Delray, oh, man. That's awesome. Make this investigative report complete. Uh, listeners everywhere, you be looking out for this book, The Making of Star Wars Return of the Jedi by J.W. Rinsler. It goes on sale this October from Delray and Lucas Books. All right, more news. As we said, J.J. J. Abrams
3: featured in an interview in the latest issue of playboy magazine the article can actually be read at playboy.com and uh this is probably the most he has said publicly about star wars which i gotta tell you guys it ain't much and uh, basically you know he's out there promoting
1: the new star trek
3: movie by the way which looks fantastic have you seen the trailers for that thing
1: I I have. It definitely looks like it's uh, picking up where they left off with the uh, first film, which I enjoyed very much.
3: Yeah, yeah. And and, and the chick that they got playing the uh, Nurse Chapel character, man. (laughs) Well done. Major Barrett never looked like that, let me tell you. Anyway.
4: Sometimes. Yeah, well,
3: yeah, right. Back in the. But the interview asks about uh, Star Wars and. It's funny because the first questions, well, they're not even really questions. They're just sort of facts. And, and J.J. just sort of smiles back at uh, the interviewer um, They're about, you know, well, rumors of the old cast members returning. J.J. smiles. Will this be a distinct new trilogy? J.J. smiles. Can you do away with Jar Jar Binks? J.J. says, you won't like this answer, but it's so early it would be insane to discuss details. Or get into plot points about what this unfilmed movie will be, and I'm not going to give my opinion on the original movie
1: or characters. I think that is a yes to there will be Jar Jar Binks in Episode <laughs> Seven. Me, <laughs> I do think so.
4: <laughs>
3: so, uh, but but they say you know, look, JJ, you're a lifelong Star Wars fan. You've got you've got to have big ideas about. You know, the, the 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 series going forward, three quarters of planet Earth came down on George Lucas for practically ruining Star Wars in episode one. Uh, the Star Wars universe revolted. Here it is, Jim, this narrative, right? This narrative that there's this overwhelming majority of Star Wars fans that were just fit to be tied about episode one. And I still, you know, I lived through it and I still don't buy it. But J.J. says, you know, with Star Wars, one has to take into account what has preceded it, what worked, what didn't. There are cautionary tales for anything you take on that has a legacy. Things you look at and think, I want to avoid this or that, or I want to do more of something. But even that feels like an outside-in approach, and it's not how I work. For me, the key is when you have a script. It's telling you what it wants to be. Now, Playboy asks about the different looks of the two star franchises that J.J. Is, uh, has helmed and is now helming. Star Wars needs to look differently from Star Trek, certainly. J.J. says, as with anything, because there are very different worlds, they shouldn't feel the same aesthetically. They can't. You're right. But again, I don't apply aesthetics first and fit a movie into that aesthetic. If I'd come into Star Trek with those eyes, I would probably have been paralyzed the advantage here is that we still have George Lucas with us to go and ask questions and get his feedback on things which I certainly will do and he goes on to talk that's, about with Star Trek he didn't have that option because Roddenberry had passed on
1: um, and it's all right when Roddenberry was alive and they were making Star Trek those guys weren't talking to him they were no. avoiding him with the plague yeah. <laughs> so that that's kind of a weird thing to say but right. um, good point but yes. I, I like that Abrams is saying that he is going to acknowledge the things that worked in the past with Star Wars while not being specific about what worked and what didn't, in his opinion. But the main thing is, is that he is going to be tapping George Lucas. And we talked earlier in the show about fandom being rocked to the core, being stunned by the dismantling of LucasArts and Lucas Animation, and we're hearing about layoffs happening at Lucasfilm. How is this going to be homogenized, the Lucas culture, and, and eventually ab- absorbed by the Disney machine? We, we, we see that's happening. It's apparent, very apparent to us that Disney was not interested in the purchase of lucasfilm for lucasfilm they were interested in the purchase of lucasfilm for specifically the star wars intellectual property end of story that's it there's nothing left to be said so to know that abrams is going to be insistent about maintaining the established culture of of creating Star Wars by going to George Lucas himself and asking him questions and getting his feedback. And I trust Abrams is telling the absolute truth in this statement when he says he certainly will do that. I believe that. And I believe by making that statement, the culture of Star Wars will continue. And George, like he did with Dave Filoni, will in essence teach J.J. Abrams how to make Star Wars. And J.J. is a smart enough guy to know that he will not turn his back on that advice. He will listen to the lessons. He will sit at the feet of the master and learn how to make Star Wars and then take it and do what he will with it. Hear, here. <laughs> Thank you. Hear, here. Thank you. I- I feel compelled to say thank you after that statement. Thank you. Thank Thank you. You
3: you know, this interview is interesting, too, because he talks a little bit about the about face that he did in terms of, you know, when when the news broke that there was new Star Wars coming from Disney. Obviously, J.J. was one of the directors that was being talked about initially, and he denied uh, his involvement. He talked about how he had known Kathy Kennedy for a number of years, he'd known George for a number of years, was now a friend, but it was really his wife. It's really J.J.'s wife that said, look, if this is something that you feel passionately about, if this is something that you really want to do, you should really consider it. Because I think intellectually J.J. was saying, how could I do this? I'm involved in Star Trek. I've got all these other stories I want to tell on my own. But being, as he calls himself, the biggest Star Wars fan, although I think uh, Jimmy Mack might... uh, challenge him for that title i don't know
1: jason swank might as well give him a run for his money
3: oh well thank you very much um and we know that kyle newman would certainly certainly trump jj oh, yeah, but at any rate yeah. he says you the know
1: s- just suck his fumes
3: <laughs> so it's all it's a it's a great interview i i highly suggest you go to playboy.com check out all the great photos and uh what yes and, and the interviews there too Check it out, (laughs) playboy.com, J.J. Abrams interview. Um, Great stuff. Now, he's not the only one talking about Star Wars Episode Seven. Jim, we've been throwing around Michael Giacchino's name since we'd heard confirmation of J.J. Abrams. Michael Giacchino is a known collaborator with with J.J. I I believe the man's name is pronounced Giacchino. Giacchino. I, I used to say Giacchino, and I was corrected in an email. Someone saying it was Giacchino. I'm looking this up right now. Look it up. Giacchino.
1: Prenunc- How do you spell
3: it? Pronunciation. It's a G-I-A-C-C-H-I-N-O. Yeah. M-O-U-S-E. That's I mean, what
1: you have to I, say. It, I
3: mean, the Italian would not pronounce it with a hard G. The Italians would pronounce it with a J, a soft G, Giacchino.
1: Yeah, I, I recall seeing that uh, email. I mean, a lot of people send us emails like, you guys are butchering the name of this guy. And it's right. like, oh, sorry, we haven't watched every DVD bonus feature uh, for Lost. That, yeah, right. <laughs> um, the only reason I actually know the guy's name is uh, for his connection with J.J. Abrams and the, the potential that he could be working on a future Star Wars soundtrack. But uh, So so, just forgive us if we are mispronouncing for, his name. I'm
3: going with Giacchino for now. Uh, next week, I'll call him Eventually, you know, I'll be right half the time. So on comicbookmovie.com, there was uh, a, a quote here from Giacchino or Giacchino about what we have long been speculating. And I got to say, we were first to the table with this bit of speculation. Everybody's kind of uh, jumped after we kind of connected the dots here. But... He's saying that, um, well, don't jump to any conclusions that he'll be taking over for John Williams. He said, quote, all I can tell you is that the thing that excites me most about a new Star Wars film is the possibility of hearing new John Williams music. I would much rather hear John Williams' Star Wars score than my music for Star Wars.
1: But that's not a denial. No. That's a tip of the hat. He's thinking, yeah, he's thinking to himself. But if they can't get John Williams, well, they know my number. That's right. He's obviously considering the future, and uh, you know he has that great working relationship with uh, J.J. Abrams and his crew. So um, you know that's one of those time will tell things. I I certainly am crossing my fingers and wishing on pennies that John Williams will be conducting the orchestra for at least Star Wars Episode Seven. That's a bit of that must exist because, of course, as we say here all the time, courtesy of Paul Bateman, the music of John Williams is the oxygen of Star Wars.
3: No doubt. No doubt. All right, this is a a story that I never thought I would hear us saying here on Rebel Force Mm -hmm. Radio. Get this. Dark Horse (laughs) announced, and this is a few weeks old now, but uh, we haven't really talked about it. it. actually broke right around
1: April 1st. In fact, it broke <laughs> on April 1st. <laughs> actually, they made an announcement at WonderCon over the weekend, but they put out their press release for this particular announcement on April Fool's Day. So it was really... Uh, it was it suspect was
3: really, because it was something... It,
1: it sounds like a dream project.
3: I mean, it really it does. It really does. Dark Horse saying that they are going to... In working with J.W. Rinsler and artist Mike Mayhew, they will adapt the rough draft screenplay of the Star Wars. This is three (laughs) years before uh, George finalized his masterpiece. And uh, we're talking General Starkiller, or excuse me, Anakin Starkiller, General Luke Skywalker, a, a, a green alien named Han Solo, evil Sith knights, the Star Wars. Jimmy Mac, what do you think about a comic book adaptation of these ideas, these early ideas? Why now? Why? Why would we? Why would
1: we be excited to see it? Why are you excited to see this? Well, I, for one, am excited to see it because uh, one of the first things I ever downloaded was. A file of that rough draft. It's been out on the internet since dial-up modems. It's been out there since Windows ninety-five, and uh, I've read it several times. And Jason, uh, you're someone who often cites uh, the great book, uh, Star Wars: The Annotated Screenplays. This stuff, the Bible, I a, call it. Yeah, I mean, it, it basically takes you through every draft of the films and gives you a behind-the-scenes look at how things concepts ideas for star Wars developed and it all started right here with this rough draft that George Lucas wrote roughly uh, 1974 75 and it is a very different kind of star Wars you do see things that that move from one draft to the next Uh, I know in the early rough draft you had things like the trash compactor and uh the big battle station and whatnot. But uh it was very different. It was much more of like a Flash Gordon sort of look at the Star Wars universe because George was mostly influenced by Flash Gordon. George made Star Wars because he couldn't get the rights to Flash Gordon in the first place. So he decided to come up with his own Flash Gordon. And um, the concept of lightsabers is something that's always been in his drafts too. But wow, is it, is it a fun read and it's, it's out there, it's crazy, it's wild. Apparently, uh, according to Randy Stradley, they were pitched on this idea... A long time ago, Dark Horse had reached out to Lucasfilm and said, let's do this. And it never got to George. It would be getting shot down every time. But then finally, J.W. Rinsler presented it to Lucas and said, I can do something with this. And George gave it the green light and off they went. So, So Rinsler is going to be writing this. And uh, according to uh, Rinzer, I mean, his take on the rough draft is that it's hallucinating to read, mind-blowing. And like I said, you can find it online. Just do a search on Google. We posted it up on the official Rebel Force Radio Facebook page. And you can see just in the first page alone, by comparing it to the panel art that Dark Horse released with the press release, you can see. That there are events happening on that first page of the rough draft that correspond with the panels that have been illustrated and released. So, looking forward to seeing this. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Han Solo looks like. Because I always pictured Han Solo, you know, a lot of people say lizard. But the way he was described in the rough draft was being green with gills. So, I always... Pictured a more greedo looking Han Solo. Mm, mm, I I didn't see that. Wouldn't that be a bit of irony? Yeah, right. Right. He shoots himself. But um, (laughs) well, I don't know who shoots first. But um, yeah, right. Maybe I don't know who um, shoots himself first. (laughs) Oh my. But uh, but that's what I always pictured the the early concept of Han Solo to be was was Greedo and then it just developed into Greedo because you know how George doesn't throw ideas and concepts away so really looking forward to this it's going to be a mini series uh, eight issue comic series launching in September from Dark Horse and I got to tell you Jason I don't think I've looked f- more forward to uh, a comic book. Release than uh, this one in a long, long time. Dark Horse will be at C2E2 next weekend. I hope to get some time with them so we can get more information about this amazing upcoming miniseries and more information about the ongoing Star Wars Monthly that's uh, up to issue four now. Uh, extremely popular, and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing Brian Wood out at C2E2 and maybe getting a few minutes of his time to get some information about that series as well.
5: Rebel Force Radio. Star Wars!
1: Nothing but
2: Star Wars! Your source for the force.
0: This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it.
3: Yeah, this is no joke. This is uh, very sad news. We learned yesterday that Richard LaParmentier, who gave life to the role of Admiral Mahdi, now known as... Admiral Conan Antonio Motti, courtesy of George Lucas on an episode of Conan O'Brien, Richard Leparmentier passed away. And, uh, you know, Jim, this goes back to years. This actually goes all the way back to Celebration 2, <laughs> when you had your, your first run-in with Richard, and uh, it became an ongoing... And one of my all-time favorite running gags here on our Star Wars podcasts—the uh, reaction that Richard gave you when you asked him for an interview—and <laughs> uh, and you've told the story many times, but would you please uh, do us the honor in commemoration of the life and times of Richard Lepardment here? Tell us about that <laughs> fateful morning at Celebration Two. When uh, you asked to interview
1: Richard. You know, long before the days of uh, internet radio and podcasting, uh, I was actually covering Star Wars events for broadcast radio in Chicago. And I attended Star Wars Celebration 2. It was my first celebration. I didn't go to the one in Denver. My brother and myself uh, hopped in my Jeep and we drove out to Indianapolis. And uh, we had a goal. We wanted to make a big deal about the upcoming release of Star Wars Episode Two on the radio. And I had grand plans for the day of release, my radio station in Chicago, 105.9 WCKG. Actually, oddly enough, no relation to the WCKG Rebel Force Radio was currently heard on every Sunday at 2 p.m. at 1530 a.m. But this was the original WCKG. And uh, it's part of CBS Radio. I went out there with uh, analog tape recorder and a microphone and decided I wanted to get sound bites to play during that day in May 2002 when episode two gets released. Just wanted to make a big deal about it. So I went to several actors in the autograph hall, approached them and Asked them if they would uh, record this or that for Chicago Radio. I did a really fun bit with Warwick Davis. Um, Talked to everyone there. Met Matt Wood for the first time. Amy Allen. I mean, God, I met so many people that day that actually, years later, I actually become close friends with some of them. But uh, Richard (laughs) here. So it was early in the morning. I would say it was the last day of celebration that year. And we were having a lot of luck, recording a lot of great material. And Richard walked in. I instantly recognized him as Admiral Mahdi. And I approached him. And I said, Richard, would you care to record a few liners for CBS Radio in Chicago? And he gave me this stare and said, are you blanking mad? (laughs) And I looked at him as I slowly turned toward him while hitting record <laughs> on my tape deck. As I'm hitting record, I said, excuse me, and when I hit record, this is what you heard. You're mad. Just an idea. You know what, it's a station idea. Yeah, just a station idea. Three lines.
0: No, you know what, I cannot do that. Because my line, this is now the most powerful station, battle station uh-huh. in the universe, is being used as a slug line. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yes. And, that's and you know what? I guess you has not
3: been paid. We don't really that's disrespectful. disrespectful. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Jimmy patronizing the man. Oh, that's so disrespectful. <laughs> well, that wasn't, I wasn't patronizing. Well, I, I, I know, but it is funny. You were going maybe along by, with
1: it. Maybe by including that so-called slug line in every Star Wars podcast we've done since, <laughs> that's patronizing. But at the moment, I wasn't. My brother is standing there. He's like, "Listen, it's just an ID." All right? right? You know, he's laying out a muscle, right? He's a radio know, station, it, yeah. In an, odd, in an odd switch of roles, I'm being the velvet glove and he's the iron fist. At right? Oh man, right. I'm like, that's disres- disrespectful. And and, uh, <laughs> and when he's Billy it, Mac. you hear Billy Mac You hear Billy Mac say, "Well, we never thought of that." <laughs> So I'll never forget Richard. He he was rather intimidating at that moment. And um, he made it up to me with an interview at Celebration 3 in Indianapolis. And wouldn't you know, I mean, can there be a, a bigger dark cloud over my relationship with any Star Wars actor? I am now advanced technically enough by the time of Celebration 3 to be using not cassette. But mini disc, oh mini disc, <laughs> the worst format to use out in the field because mini disc had this amazing ability to erase what you just recorded <laughs> in a matter of seconds, in a yeah, blink I, of an know, eye. It just <laughs> blink of an eye, it would be horrible. That didn't happen to me, but what did yeah. happen to me on this particular occasion is about ten seconds into my interview with Richard. The mini disc ran out of space, so I stood there for ten minutes talking to the guy, moving the microphone back and forth, knowing I'm not recording him, but feeling so afraid and ashamed to say anything about it. I just conducted the interview as is. Oh, so that was that was rough stuff.
3: Now we we riffed on the and guess who hasn't been paid line for uh, for quite a while, and it, 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 we we joked that. If you saw Richard at a convention, you could you could give him his nickel,
1: which just because might be think, his commission, his yeah, his royalty. That's, <laughs> that's the one line in Star Wars. It's worth a nickel, right? Where's
3: my if, nickel? I
1: figured if everyone gave him a nickel, then that would satisfy him, and maybe he would then do. And and an for ID years job. this went on, and nobody approached Richard
3: with the nickel until
1: (laughs) Wizard World Chicago 2010 It it, it was almost a responsibility of mine, much like Frodo Baggins with the ring the one ring, he could be the only one to throw it into the volcanic pit At this point, I was the only one who could throw that nickel at Richard (laughs) LeBarmentier I had to assume the responsibility I had to assume the burden I have to uh, jump in the Wayback Machine here real quick, and you may have heard about this. I don't know. But uh, back, I think it was in 2002, I was working for CBS Radio, and I approached you at a um, uh, Star Wars Celebration in Indianapolis. Yes. And uh, I asked you for an interview, and it was very early in the morning. And uh, you looked at me and said, are you effing mad? <laughs> I don't think you had had your coffee yet. No,
0: no, no. I, <laughs> I never do interviews before 2 or 3 o'clock. Um, somebody came in yesterday. When I arrived here, and I said, I'm sorry, can you come back? Four, five, fine, I'll be happy. I just got off of a really early flight. Yeah. And it was, you know...
1: Well, you know eight. when you're ready to talk. Um, oh, yeah, oh,
0: absolutely. Yes. But
1: the thing is, is that you did go on to tell me that you didn't want to talk to radio because American radio uses your infamous line. I don't
0: do trails for, for stations and okay. things. Mainly because of that, because they actually have sampled... My line, right? Which uh, they're not allowed to do, basically.
1: Well, yeah, we, we find that to be disrespectful. So we put the call out to Star Wars fans everywhere. So uh, we figure there are so many Star Wars fans out there that if each one just donated a nickel to you, that would make up for any lost uh, funds that you might have incurred well, over the. I so- think
0: I well that would be very kind, but it's not. Uh, it's not up to the fans, is it? But allow uh, me. Allow it's up, me. It's it's up to the uh, it's up to uh, it's uh, is it Metro Media that owns that that chain of stations? Which I think, one? I think it's Metro Media that owns that that, that uh, they, it's it's a it's a string of classic rock stations. Oh,
1: okay. And they always you, use I, that line. No, right? I
0: think they pulled it now. Oh, they did. I haven't okay. heard it for a long time. Well, so I think maybe they did hear that I was not happy or something.
1: Well, to make up for who the... who knows to make up for the lost funds, I'd like to get started off. This is a nickel. Uh, uh, I want to give you. And that is uh, uh, just a, a sign of respect for oh, your thank fine you. work I'll get it in mounted. Star Wars A <laughs> New Hope. This, this, this represents Star Wars fans everywhere that appreciate your work. Oh, thank you. And one solid American nickel right there. Five okay. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> Richard Leparmentier, you are an awesome guy, a true gentleman, and a great ambassador to Star Wars fans. Well, thank you very much. There you go. Yeah. We, we actually hit, we hit it off great that day. I was so happy. I remember seeing him sitting there, and i I was talking to uh, uh, Daniel Logan's pops, John L. Cantor, and I was looking across. I said, "Oh, there's Richard Laparment here. He's just sitting there." And uh, and John goes, "You should go talk to him." I said, "Well, you got to lend me a nickel." <laughs> I wasn't going to go over there unless <laughs> I had a nickel. So it was actually uh, it was actually uh, Boba Fett's dad's nickel. Oh, my that I gosh. It's tears. So wow. imagine you know, all the places that Nickel has seen. So, Richard, uh, you know, like I said, I was so happy to finally have closure with him and conduct that interview and, and really get to know him. And, and he was a wonderful guy. And uh, talking to Mark Newbold earlier uh, mark is very uh you know shocked and saddened by by the loss of richard he He actually ran uh, richard's website for a few years and was very close to him and mm-hmm. i'm hearing a lot of great stories from the Star Wars fan community about how their lives were touched by Admiral Mahdi and how yes he was at times a a rough personality or or maybe even a curmudgeon. but once he got his morning coffee and uh, the afternoon hours started to tick along he uh he came into form and was a, a wonderful person. So as long as you caught him at the right part of the day, uh, you had a, a great experience with Admiral Mahdi, and, and, and the right part of day happened more often than not. And so uh, uh, the Star Wars fan community will be missing him. We've lost a member of the family. And uh, rest in peace, Richard Le Parmentier.
0: Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes, or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fort. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Enough of this, Veda, Release him. As you wish. You're oh, f- mad.
3: Rebel Force Radio. You've already made that Star Wars reference. All right, Star Wars and pop culture returns with Ahmed Best. Where's the beef in a <laughs> Wendy's
1: TV spot? <laughs> that's right, Jason. You know we uh, the the the, uh, the the Christian community just wrapped up uh, the Lenten season, and that's when you can't eat meat on Fridays. So all the fast food chains start promoting their fish sandwiches and whatnot. And, and uh, Wendy's, of course, has a fish sandwich. And uh, they were promoting it very heavily. And uh, we got this email from loyal Rebel Force radio listener Campbell Evans, who says, we haven't seen a whole lot of Ahmed Best on TV outside of his regular appearances on The Clone Wars, so you might get a kick out of this funny appearance in a new Wendy's commercial that features the actor exercising his musical skills with a little beatboxing. Check it out.
3: I bet I know
2: what you got. I bet
0: I know what you got. I said I bet I, what I, bet I know what you got.
2: Okay. I bet
3: I know what you got. Okay. I bet I know what you got. I bet I know what you got. Okay, okay, okay.
4: okay. Oh.
3: It's North Pacific God. We all
1: know it's right on the bag. Okay, all right. I'm... <laughs> OK, so best uh, showing up Jar Jar Binks in so a Wendy's step TV. up from Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Some people might say. That. So uh, congratulations. I mean, it was great seeing him in that commercial. And uh, yeah, where do you go from Jar Jar yeah. Binks? Well,
3: maybe to Tracy Morgan, uh, another favorite of ours here um, on Rebel Force Radio. I guess he was on an, an episode of Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. And he was talking about we know that Tracy Morgan is a big Star Wars fan. I think that was a prerequisite to actually be on 30 Rock. But uh, Tracy has mentioned Star Wars. In particular, how many times he has seen Star Wars. And Jimmy Mack, what's that number?
1: 500 times.
3: I've seen Star Wars 500 times. 500 times he showed up on Jimmy Fallon's show to talk about the future of Star Wars. And in particular, the characters of the galaxy far, far away.
2: Disney just picked up the Star Wars stuff. And they said they're bringing everybody back. Han Solo coming back, Come Princess on, Leia man. coming back, Luke Skywalker. Imagine Luke Skywalker, is as old as he is now, he gonna, <laughs> it ain't gonna be no lightsaber. It's gonna be, ah, oh, this geriatrics. <laughs> he's screaming, geriatrics. Yeah. Uh, I mean hell? Chewbacca up? got fleas now, he's old. <laughs> Patches of hands missing. <laughs> Patches of hair. Patches of blah, hair. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> blah. Every now and then, i am serious. Every now and then, R2-D2, you know, he's short circuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't work One no more. One wheel is missing. Yeah. Oh, man. No, it's going to be old. That's gonna oh, be not going to work. You'd Princess say... Leia, forget about all it. All right, all right.
3: <laughs> well, painting a... Uh, Very bleak picture about the future of Star Wars, (laughs) Tracy Morgan. But we know Tracy's going to be, he's going to be first in line to see the movie. How
1: many times? 500 times. My cousin's going to be there, too. (laughs)
3: Going to get you all pregnant. All right. So Patton Oswalt shows up on an episode of Parks and Recreation and uh, provides this Star Wars in pop culture moment.
4: It has been announced that Disney has required... The rights to the Star Wars franchise, and in the summer of 2015, we will see the release of Star Wars uh, Episode seven. Herewith is my proposal for the plot of that movie. Uh, begin with standard uh, title uh, sequence and John Williams fanfare, uh, followed by a scroll to be written. I would like to mention that Brian De Palma wrote the original opening scroll for Star Wars Episode 4 A New Hope. I think it would be a nice nod uh, to the franchise if he were to write this opening. Scroll. Then, pan down from the twin sons of Tatooine, uh, we are now close on the mouth of the Sarlacc pit. After a beat, the gloved Mandalorian armor gauntlet of Boba Fett grabs onto the sand outside the Sarlacc pit, and the feared bounty hunter pulls himself from the maw of the sand beast. Okay, this is exactly... And we realize uh, that he survived his fall uh, during the battle at Jabba's uh, palace ship. Then uh do a hard cut uh, to a repurposed uh, Imperial destroyer, uh, which has now been taken over by the rebels. Uh, Commander Luke Skywalker, now a full Jedi Knight, uh, training new Padawans uh, is using, ironically, uh, his father Anakin's red lightsaber, which will be uh, a, a symbolic, I think, visual for his battle uh, with how to uh, both bring about the new uh, Jedi Order uh, while still um, acknowledging his father's uh, fall from grace. This is- uh, as he is training the Padawans, we pan outside of the control uh, window to a nearby asteroid where we we see, and please allow me to finish this because it's going to seem like a bit of a jump, we see Thanos, who was the oh, villain on. teased at the end of the first Avengers movie. Now, Thanos <laughs> as you know, owns the Infinity Gauntlet, which has the time gem, the mind gem, the power gem, the space gem, and the reality gem. If he holds the reality gem, that means he can jump from different realities. This will be our link from to the Marvel Universe from the Star Wars Universe. <laughs>
3: You know, it's not out of the realm. Uh, talk about brand cohesion if we have uh, the Star Wars universe meet the Marvel universe. W- what a bizarre and wild moment in the show. I- I'm-, I'm guessing that the setting for this is some sort of hearing
1: yeah, it I mean, is. Uh, he's addressing this, this board. Uh, uh, I, 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 I'm sorry. The only time I watch Parks and Recreation is when I'm on an airplane. So, <laughs> you know, they show those those reruns. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so I, I'm not too familiar with the show, but it appeared that Amy Poehler was sitting up on like uh, she was like the head of some sort of uh Council, or you know, she was uh, sort of hearing, hearing. Yeah, hearing going on, and so Pat Oswalt, his character, was invoking the right of filibuster. So he was just up there doing this this long drawn out rant, and I'm only playing you a small portion of it. Uh, he goes on to talk about how the Marvel Universe can connect with the Star Wars universe, and he just keeps going on and on. And I don't really understand how this connects with the actual episode itself. It almost looks <laughs> as if this was an unedited outtake the way it was presented uh, by NBC online today. It was just released today. But he goes on to paint a grim picture for the future of our favorite Wookiee.
4: Now, cut back to uh, the Imperial Star Destroyer. Uh, Luke uh, gets a visit from, and we only show this from the boots up first. So we show these, like, black boots with the, and then we pan up, and oh, my God, it's Han Solo. But he's old, older and grizzled and, and really, like, focused and cool. Like, he's seen some really bad stuff, and he actually seems shaken. And and Luke is like, what's wrong, old buddy? And that's when Han drops Chewbacca's severed head onto the floor. Yes, in front no of all the Padawans. No way. Kids, are on the like floor it. in front of the Padawans, Kids are not please gonna... let me finish. Thank you. The Padawans are all horrified, and uh, uh, um, uh, Han says that the planet Kashyyyk has been destroyed by this very mysterious force. Now, we know, oh, this was Thanos. Thanos is beginning to, uh, you know, uh, gather power in this new universe.
3: All right, all right, all right. Here's a question, because I know that Pat, not- you know what I'm going to ask, don't you? Now, this is also the guy that wanted to go back in time and kill George Lucas with a shovel before he was able to write the Star Wars prequels.
1: I'll tell you, plenty of our listeners reminded me of that fact when I posted this video on our Facebook page today. Right,
3: he's right up there with, uh, w- with uh, Simon Pegg. Simon frickin' Pegg, as he's known here on the show. Uh... Yeah, Pegg but he's not a what... repeat
1: offender. I will not give him Simon frickin' Pegg status because Patton only stepped out of line once. I'm willing to give any No, Star that was Wars- part of his... No, no, no.
3: I disagree, because I would say... I would suggest to you that that was part of his stand-up routine, and he did it night after night in various cities across America.
4: Honestly, if I really was honest about well, what did I think of doing with a Time Machine, I would go back to the summer of 93, like 1993, and I would kill George Lucas with a shovel. That's the <laughs> first thing I would do. I would kill him with a shovel and I would stop him from making the prequels. That's what I would do.
1: Ooh, okay, so, so I, I see what you're saying. We have a, a predetermined situation here. So was he a repeat offender? Apparently he was.
3: We're going to throw that out there for the, for the listeners to decide Patton Oswald's do, uh, fate. Does he receive, Simon, does he receive frickin' status? Will he be, now be known as Patton frickin' Oswald? Here on Rebel Force Radio. You let us know. Show at RebelForceRadio.com. You let us know if you think he deserves that kind of status. Jimmy Mack says no. I say yes. It's kind of like when you're going through the checkout line where it's a, uh, the, 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 the speedy line, the express lane. It says 10 items or less, right? But well, what if you have 15 items, but they're all the same thing? What if there are 15 jars of Tutti Fruity baby food? Not that I've done this, but what if the 15 jars of Tutti Fruity flavored <laughs> baby food? It's the same product. Does it count as one or 15? <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Anyway, let us know what you think. But I, for one, believe that he deserves freaking status. Patton Oswalt. Your source for the force. Star Wars parody. <laughs> all right. Uh, just before we get Chris Mocked on the line with us, we do want to bring you an update on Rebel Force Radio at C2E2. Unfortunately, I'm not able to be there, but Jimmy Mack will be.
1: We're going to miss you this year, Jason, but uh, we, we got uh, all kind of things going on. We'll be there Friday for sure. Working the floor. Delivering reports directly from the floor at C2E2. We'll be starting the show on Friday morning at the Sand Troopers booth. That's where we're going to be kicking off our coverage at 11 a.m. at the Sand Troopers bunker. Uh, they're going to be doing a big raffle there. All proceeds go to vasculitis.org. Tickets are $1 a piece. And uh, what could you win? A uh, Dave Dorman print, Joe Caroni print, Sideshow collectibles, all kind of cool things like a Snow Trooper, Commander Bakura. Uh, oh, a gentle giant Gamorian Guard vintage style figure, you know, like done like the old Kenner figures. Right, but right. Big, the, the big ones. Uh, yeah. And that Gamorian yeah. Guard is huge. Yes. Yes. Uh, they're going to have the uh, Hasbro Wolf Pack gift set. That's one I'm going to be hoping I win. Are and, we in uh, that, by the way? Or are we? Uh, you know they never. you take did those the- helmets
3: off, or are we are,
1: are we under the the buckets there? Oh, they there was talk that there were going to be Mac and Swank clones in uh, episode of the Clone Wars, but now we know that can never happen. So oh god, Mac damn it! And- I forgot about that. <laughs> we never talked about that on the show. But oh hey, Chris Mott
3: the- is calling up here. Let me grab him.
1: He can, hey, he, can he he can Chris, talk
3: I- about C two E two with us. Uh, Chris mocked, obviously chomping at the bit to get uh, his fifteen minutes of fame here on Rebel Force Radio, <laughs> ambushing us for his opportunity. Yes. Now, Chris, great to have you with us.
1: Hey, uh, you, uh, am I? Am I really ambushing you? I did not mean no, to do that. No, It no. was not true. No. Was- and all our door is always open to you. You always have a seat here at the Rebel Force Radio Jedi Council. And you will be working on the floor with me on Friday. We're going to be walking around there together. You are going to be the proxy Jason Swank as we take our microphones to the floor of McCormick Place in downtown Chicago. And we're going to be reporting on all the cool Star Wars things going on at C2E2. Starting off at the Sand Troopers booth, we're going to stop by the fire first Midwest Garrison, Rebel Legion booth. We're going to see our friends at welovefine.com. Remember me and Jason are judges for the Dark Side T-shirt contest. Big announcement on the winners could be made on May the 4th. And uh, there's a lot of Star Wars guests of note, including Ashley Eckstein, Daniel Logan, We got uh, Dark Horse Monthly comic Star Wars title writer Brian Wood and cover artist Alex Ross, local guy Alex Ross. He's a Chicagoan. Darth Vader and son author Jeffrey Brown. Kevin Smith coming off of his amazing performance at Star Wars Celebration. He'll be at C2E2. Being Human star Sam Huntington, a.k.a. Eric from Fanboys. He'll be there along with Star Wars artist Dave Dorman. Also,
3: uh, Jimmy Olsen from Superman Returns. And Katie
1: Huntington, just throwing that out there. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's great. Great. I'm. I'm so glad you interrupted me to throw in some.
3: (laughs) I'm here. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. But uh, but you know what? It's going to be a great time, Chris. You and me. We're going to hit the floor. We're going to have a lot of laughs. Uh, haven't seen you since the amazing. Force Within Us red carpet event that happened uh, Friday, March 22nd at the beautiful Arcata Theater in downtown St. Charles, Illinois. What was that experience like for you?
5: It was uh, fast and furious, man. It was a a great time and it uh, it was hard to believe that it
1: came and gone so fast. And it's hard to believe that it was almost a month ago now. I mean, there was so much setup and so much hype and so much excitement about the event. Chris, you were everywhere. I, I turn on WGN overnight. I hear you with, uh, on the Bill Left show. You're talking about uh, the force within us. And, and God bless you, you brought me up too. All <laughs> well, of you know, the hardcore St- Star Wars fans that you have met over the years, who
0: is the hardcoreest? Who do you meet and just go, well, I could never touch what this guy's got going?
2: Well, my good friend Jimmy Mac, uh, who's, who has Rebel Force Radio podcast, he was with the Force Net uh, and the Forcecast for a long time. He is the Pope of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's pretty hardcore, in my opinion. You know, I, I don't know anybody that I love to listen to more than him. It's just when you listen to him, it, I feel like I'm hearing, you know, hearing myself. You know, he's very, very passionate
0: about it. I've known Jimmy for years. His wife, Wendy, and I, w- when I started doing radio, Wendy was my partner for the first five years, and I've been to the house, sometimes when they're actually home, which is nice. And he, uh, <laughs> the way that Jimmy's got it in his room, he's got, when you go into his closet, you think it's just a normal closet, but then you're just engulfed in the Star Wars world. You're bombarded with toys from all directions. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the closet, because uh, I interviewed him and Wendy at the house, and Wendy actually talks about opening the closet for people that walk in that room, take a look around and go, wow, this is cool. And she's like, well, wait a minute. i got to open the closet. Yep. <laughs> and it's kind of cool that you say that because, you know, that's the documentary. And it's,
5: it's definitely a big, big part of his collection is that walk-in closet with all that really cool memorabilia.
3: I want to talk about Jimmy Mack and the closet. Jimmy Mack... <laughs> Coming out of the closet with a bunch of toys. I don't know. That's all I heard.
1: His wife talking <laughs> about-, about Jimmy Mac. What? Bill Leff Bill himself, the host of that show, he actually is a huge toy collector. And he's the one who actually, in the 90s, told me about how Star Wars collecting has actually become an organized hobby. He's the guy who actually told me about Steve Sandsweet for the first time. I never heard about him until Bill Leff told me about him and introduced me to Steve's, some of Steve's books. So Bill has always been a, a big influence on me as far as my fandom and stuff. And he has two rooms in his house dedicated to all sort of vintage toys from Star Wars to the old Migos, the Six Million Dollar Man, G.I. Joe. And he has an amazing collection. And he always says, well, at least my wife is cool with it. She says, well, at least you're not hooked on heroin. And, uh, you know, I, or I hookers, be, or hookers, it would be, be kind of Which, weird to have know, one uh, out of two, ain't bad. It'd be weird to have two rooms in the house dedicated to heroin. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, definitely it's a more approach to, uh, <laughs> to well, embrace what, your what, what, if had, what if you had one room dedicated in the house to hookers?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who says we don't?
5: Straight,
3: think, you know. Well, Chris, so, Chris I, I, go ahead. Jake. I was going to say, I, uh, had an opportunity to to, to watch the film, and this is a much more personal film, those that have seen uh, The Force Among Us, which sort of of takes a uh, I, I guess a more macro view of fandom you were really trying to break down the, the, the stereotypes in a in a large in a in a big way this film seems very personal it's really about your journey as a fan and kind of along the way we meet Jimmy Mack, we meet uh we're reintroduced to Glenn, your cousin and a number of, of other fans. I mean did you intend for this to be such a personal story?
5: Absolutely absolutely and, and I think you know, Jimmy Mack and, um, and Ian, my director of photography, they said, you know, you should have this based around your story because it was it was absent from the first one. You know, I mean, I, I pretty much said how my dad passed away and that I've seen the world because of Star Wars, you know, when I was the guy behind the camera the first time. But, you know, I wanted to go a lot deeper. And I always felt like, especially the last five years after making the first documentary that my story was untold except for being on your show. I mean, a lot of your listeners have heard my behind the scenes stories. So when they saw the documentary, it was kind of like the visual of listening to me on your show. Mm -hmm. Um, But I always meant it to be, I always meant for it to be a very, very personal thing. And I always wanted to include all the people that I did in this one to show their similarities and show their differences as well. And I, I'm, I'm very happy that you got a chance to watch the film. Were you happy that you made the final cut? Yeah,
3: yeah, I was, I was. I appreciate that very much. It's very nice uh, of you to to include me. Uh, but you also include some really cool locations. I mean, those who saw the the, the first film know that uh, you were in uh, Tunisia. You were also in Norway and Fence where they filmed the uh, the Hoth uh, scenes there this time you go to death Valley and Chris, you've experienced this firsthand. You've seen Tatooine, the real Tunisian sand of Tatooine and now, and now death Valley. Did, did you, did you have moments where you felt like you were back in Tunisia or is it really a starkly different environment between the two settings?
5: I absolutely had flashbacks of being in Tunisia. Um, you know, it's it's very, very similar, except you don't have the buildings. But when we were in Tunisia, we did line up a lot of shots just based on rock formations. Mm-hmm. And that's really all you have in Death Valley. And, of course, I had the opportunity to wear the Tusken Raider costume <laughs> and play with the Landspeeder on Landspeeder Road. and mm-hmm. You know, bring the 12-inch R2-D2 out to uh, R2's Arroyo. And then I put the droids on Jabba's Palace. And that, those were things that I didn't get a chance to do in Tunisia. So I thought that was kind of a, a new memory as well as, you know, remembering the trip that I took to Tunisia many,
3: many, many moons ago. And, of course, the, the Redwood Forest. And uh, it's just it's amazing that these locations, one, are still so true to what we, re- what we recall uh, thirty from thirty years ago now, or thirty plus years ago, uh, in, in terms of what you were saying, where you're able to actually almost line up the camera to be exactly what was seen on screen, you know, with the uh, with the film. So that that's really really fun, and I love that you put the action figures in there. That's very cool stuff, and and, and the, the slave Leia also was was helpful for me to really get into the spirit of things. Um,
5: yeah, you know, I think the slave Leia thing was just a bonus. I had no idea that there was going to be a female fan, let alone wearing a slave layout outfit. I mean, that was kind of a, That wasn't a your idea, huh? That was not my idea. No, that was actually Carl and Adam's idea. Those are the guys that wrote the On uh, Location book. This is a friend of theirs. She tagged along. She wore the costume. And I was like, wow, this is a sweet added bonus. And, and yeah, you can obviously hear, you can obviously hear my expression regarding that moment in the film. I don't drop the f bomb, but I say some other vulgar language that expresses my true feeling of how cool it was. I believe you say <laughs> it's it's filming. it's
3: much hotter because it's her first time in the uh, in the slave Leia garb, so it was uh, it was more significant. Yeah,
5: and and, and I, I think the cool thing about you know going up to Northern California, I think the thing that really made that special was talking to those actors and those crew members mm. that worked on Return of the Jedi. I don't believe that would have been as cool of a moment for me anyway in the film if we didn't hear the stories on how and what Star Wars did coming into that. I mean, Northern California—that's pretty much, you know, the closest airport is five hours away, so it's literally in the middle of nowhere. No, it it was cool.
3: Yeah, it was cool to hear
5: those stories from those people. You know, it,
3: it really was. But you know, I have to say that one of the things that I enjoyed the most about the film. Other than it's sort of seeing my man Jimmy Mack and his, uh, the whole Mack clan there, uh, I know. which, which is fantastic, uh, and Wendy's confession that she's secretly quite proud of the, uh-huh. the Star Wars room there in, in the Mack house. Um, but I love Chris that you delve into the generational, uh, I don't want to say differences, but. Uh, for lack of a better term, differences in in Star Wars fandom. You, you're talking to a, a young man who I believe is a is a is a nephew of yours. Who's the the Oh the, 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 uh, yeah, the, actually
5: the, the the young
3: the, the young kid that or I'm a talking cousin? to is.
5: Oh, it's it's my brother. It's your brother. It's-
3: Oh, it's yes, your younger it's, brother. Okay.
5: It's my younger brother. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, my half-brother. You know, my, my, obviously my, my father passed away. Sure. That's a big part of the story. Right. My mom got remarried. She's been living in Florida for 20 years, and that is my half-brother. And, um, you know, he was actually in The Force Among Us. He looks nothing like he did in the first one. But that was the kid that was in the first documentary that was sitting on the bed in his Star Wars room. Oh, my gosh. About- you know I mean I, he's yes. grown a lot. Wow. <laughs> so wow. Th- that's another that's another tie in and like you said we revisit Glenn, we revisit my cousin Mike and in the first R- Angry three- Mike. Angry Mike is not as angry as he used to be, but uh... No, and actually somebody watched the first documentary followed by The Force Within us just the other night and they said that they still get angry when they see Mike in the first one, <laughs> but when they <laughs> see him <laughs> when they see him in the second documentary they kind of understand him a little bit more, yeah. and I thought that was kind of, that was a cool thing because I really wanted to make a sequel. I wanted to revisit some people, like you said, we talk about that generational gap, that generational division, and that was touched uh, a little bit in the force among us, but we didn 't really
3: d- dive deep into it you know right and and so you've got you've got the the, the younger brother of yours that he is a prequel baby and the the Clone Wars really didn't do it for him, and then you know you you hear from Ashley Eckstein, who is uh constantly uh, being uh, greeted by adoring young adoring fans that have never seen any of the live action films and Clone Wars is their star Wars and then you got the the old guard like yourself and Jimmy Mack, who you know you're an original trilogy uh, or original star wars generation um, it's 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 fascinating to see how despite these these differences you still have fathers and sons and, and 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 mothers and sons or mothers and daughters enjoying all of this stuff together so it seems as though there's definitely a lot that there's probably more that unites us about star wars or with star wars than divides us
5: yeah absolutely and and i think you know that was one of the things that i learned more about when i was making the documentary was this Generational division, you know this generational division. I guess divide, and even though we showed the differences in the film, we didn't really, we didn't bash anybody's preference. But and like you said, it really tied it. Even our differences tie us together. It was it was a very very cool experience, and I think in order to tell the story of Star Wars Phantom the right way, you really need to talk about the Clone Wars. You need to talk about the prequels. You need to show the people that grew up on both films. And like Ashley said in the documentary, there are people that are discovering Star Wars for the very first time. And she thinks that's crazy because she's used to the Star Wars movies. And I think she even learned a lot about being part of the Star Wars universe that, wow, you know, this is really a new generation. This is the Clone Wars Generation that's being introduced to Star Wars.
3: Now, Chris, so. I, I, I have to ask if, and of course, I remember asking you this after you wrapped The Force Among Us up, is with all of the changes, I mean, think of how much has changed in Star Wars since you wrapped The Force Within Us. So I'm just throwing this out there that in 2015, we're going to see the release of Star Wars Episode 7. And according to today's news, we will be met with a new Star Wars film every summer. And you make a whole lot about the theatrical experience of Star Wars and how that is really the proper introduction to the whole uh, fan community, the fan experience, the Star Wars saga, that it's the theatrical introduction that is the the, the proper way to go. It seems like we're going to be... there's going to be no shortage of that. Would you consider going back and perhaps revisiting uh, this world once again when um, this new, new, new generation of Star Wars takes off?
5: Yeah, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll be The Force Within Us, uh, a special edition. <laughs> because we are we are doing a third film, and it's going to based, be based around all the locations, the Force Around Us is the name of the the name of the third installment. But you know, you bring up also you are not point. waiting
3: until uh, twenty fifteen.
5: You know, I, be realistic. I think the Force Around Us will be released in two thousand and fifteen. But I think the point that you made is very, very interesting because if you when you watch the Force Within Us, we don't mention the Disney thing, right? And you know, as a storyteller. I actually I actually asked Jimmy, too, because I, I was watching the film with him and his wife and a good friend of his uh, right after the holiday, uh, you know, in the end of December, and I said, you know, I didn't talk about the Disney stuff, and I said, we already wrapped. I don't want to go back and, and, and read, you know, start filming all this stuff and start diving into that, because that's not really what the force within us is necessarily about, mm-hmm. and... You know, Jimmy was one of the guys of about three people that said, you know what, don't worry about it. You don't have to mention it. This is a time capsule. You're capturing the moment before. You know, we know about the Disney stuff. And and that was, we, we lived that for how many years? I mean, we really lived that right after Revenge of the Sith all the way up until last summer. We had no idea. That there was going to be new Star Wars movies, and the cool thing is, is that when I talk to my brother, you know, he says, "Well, if there's new movies, I'll I'll keep seeing them. I'll, I'll keep right, going." Right, right. And, and I think everybody that watches The Force Within us kind of goes, "Oh, there are new movies." So this guy, he's going to continue to be a Star Wars fan. And I think there's a lot of foreshadowing in The Force Within us without us even trying, just because of all the news that has come out, like literally within the last. Eight months, you know, in the in the the Star Wars fan community as well as the the, the film
1: the films as well. We will uh, catch up with you a lot more next week at C two E two. We're starting to run a little uh, long on time here, but I just want to get to a few highlights of that great week leading up to the red carpet premiere. It just seemed like Chris was everywhere. I was getting emails from people all over the country saying. Dude, I just saw you on WGN morning news and, uh, you know, on the television. And and you were hitting the WGN thing hard, both on TV and radio. And uh, your director of photography, Ian, actually called up the Brandmeier show, morning show on WGN. I mean, how many thousands and thousands of people listen to this show? I used to work on the show. And out of nowhere, I'm listening that morning. I'm I'm eating my Fruit Loops and I almost knocked the bowl over when I hear Ian call in, and again I get a plug. Ian, go ahead, please. What, Ian it? So, uh, yeah, free a uh, free red carpet
2: premiere of the new Star Wars fan documentary, The Force Within Us, tonight at the Arcada Theater in downtown St. Charles. What is it? Pre Pre-part, party starts at six thirty p.m. with Star Wars characters available for photo ops. 7.30 p.m. World premiere of the film, which features former Brandmeier producer Jimmy Mack and his wife, Wendy Snyder. <laughs> Do it, wait, wait, doing? Disney I'm confused.
1: Will you slow down? <laughs> I'm <sorry>.
2: For
1: God's <laughs> sake, slow down. What are you talking about? There's a Star Wars show at the Arcata Theater. I have no idea what you're talking about.
2: Okay, it's a free red carpet premiere. It's a Star Wars fan documentary called The Force Within Us.
1: And what does that have to do with Jimmy Mac and they're, Wendy? They're in it. <laughs> Come on, Jimmy, Jimmy Mac, Mac is a Star Wars uh Freak?
2: Icon. Star Wars buff, right. and Jimmy is in the movie, and so is his wife, Wendy.
0: They're in the movie. They are in the movie. Okay, got it. Now i making some sense. You sound like a
1: robot when you called in. Jim, uh, hello, Tim. Go ahead, Jimmy, please. Jimmy Mac has a room Hi. in his house with nothing
0: but Star Wars action figures.
1: What's wrong with him? I don't know. Jimmy <laughs> Mac, uh,
0: the one and only. Nothing. Nothing's wrong with him.
1: What's wrong with you? I always say, <laughs> say it loud, say it proud. So all, the whole family's involved now. You got uh, me and Wendy. We're getting mentioned. You know, Chris is getting all this exposure. But the the best exposure for for my family during this whole event was when Michael Mack, who is also featured in The Force Within Us, his band, The Wave Magnets, opened. The evening they opened the red carpet event, playing on stage at the Arcata Theater was an incredible experience for these kids. The the, the age range is is twelve to fifteen in this band. Michael is thirteen and he plays bass. And uh, this is easily the biggest gig they ever did. And they uh, played some uh, music by the White Stripes. They did Seven Nation Army, and they twisted it around and customized it to make it more Star Warsy.
2: I'm going to Tatooine Far from this opera forevermore And I'm going to work the straw Make the sweat drip out of every pore And I'm bleeding and I'm bleeding And I'm bleeding before the Darth Lord All the words are going to bleed from me And I will sing no more
3: the stain's coming from my blood. Tell me, go back home. There you go. Is that Michael so, Mack on the guitar? Uh, no, that's him on the bass guitar. On the bass. Oh, he's got that opening riff. Okay, all right. Yeah. yeah you know I, what's really cool sure.
5: is I, I didn't hear that at the show mm-hmm. because I, I believe I was still out in the lobby, and I never did hear that plug that Ian had in the Brandmeier show. So this
1: is this is a cool uh, new experience for me. Chris Mock, this is your life. And <laughs> <laughs> it was a cool experience for me uh, being the, the proud papa sitting there watching my son grace that stage where so many amazing rock acts play uh, night in and night out at the Arcata Theater in St. Charles. So that was uh, very cool. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll cut their lead singer some slack for the uh, uh, the Darth Lord line. And maybe he did that on purpose, though. Yeah, I thought it was maybe. kind of
3: a play on words there.
1: The Darth Lord. The Darth yeah, maybe, Lord. It was, maybe it was. A very complicated young man that guy is. So, But uh, <laughs> an amazing night at the uh, Arcada Theater and an amazing fan documentary. Limited copies of the DVD are now available at theforceamongus.com.
5: You know what? Theforceamongus.com is actually under construction, unfortunately, so... You need. I want to redirect everybody to Amazon.com, Amazon.com, and just type in "The Force Within Us." And if you've already gotten the movie, please leave a review. We'd love to hear, love to hear what you what you think.
1: Absolutely. So it's at Amazon.com. Oh, very good, very good. Yes. Get it now at Amazon and watch our coverage from the red carpet event at shotglassdigital.com. Chris, looking forward to hanging out with you next weekend here in Chicago at C2E2. Uh, We're going to have a ball. And uh, I want our listeners to know that next week, I got a programming note, next week Rebel Force Radio will be coming at you. As I said, live from C2E2 in Chicago, look for all of our coverage in the next episode of Rebel Force Radio coming on a special day. We're going to have a special release. It will not be coming out next Friday. You'll get the full coverage on Sunday, April 28th. Don't miss it.
3: Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Big thanks to Chris Mock for joining us. Chris, are you still on the line? Yes, I am. All right. Thanks, man. It was great to hear from you. Thanks for uh, making sure that I got to see the film. Appreciate it very much. You can get your own copy of The Force Within Us on sale now at Amazon.com. Don't forget, visit WeLoveFine.com for... Great Star Wars t shirts, and there is a discount code which will enable you to save 15% off your total order. That's Rebel Force 15. RebelForce15.WeLoveFine.com. Once again, you can listen to a very special edition of Rebel Force Radio Live on the terrestrial radio band. The AM Band, that's 1530 AM in the greater Chicago area, WCKG. Those are the call letters Sundays at 2 p.m. Central Time. Elsewhere, you can just download the WCKG app or stream it on your desktop at 1530wckg.com. We'd love for you to play along with us in between shows. Drop us an email, show at rebelforceradio.com. That's show at rebelforceradio.com. Let us know. What do you think? Patton Oswalt. Frickin' or no frickin'? Let us know. Again, show at rebelforceradio.com or leave us a voicemail, 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. Follow us on Twitter, at RebelForceRadio, at Jimmy JimmyMacRadio, at Jason Swank. And our official Facebook page at facebook.com slash rebelforceradio. We also have our Facebook page available and online here for the Shot Glass Digital Network. That's at facebook.com slash Digital. Easy for me to say. iTunes is still the best place to find, listen, and review. Great podcasts like Rebel Force Radio. We appreciate if you would leave us a review. We just have one rule.
1: Make it good.
3: Stitcher, if you're on an iPhone or an Android device, you can check that out. It's a great podcatcher. It's available for free at stitcher.com The website if you want to go and check out more about Rebel Force Radio is rebelforceradio.com and There you will find links to the other podcasts that we do, including Bondcast from Russia with Love Part 2 coming next week. You gotta listen. Day! That'll make a whole lot more sense when you listen to Bondcast. Snyder Marks Radio the other side of Jimmy Mack can be heard just about each and every week with his lovely wife Wendy and guest appearances, cameos if you will by the Mac children URL for all of the great programming from Shotglass Digital ShotglassDigital.com That's going to do it for us right here on Rebel Force Radio. We'll see you guys next time Love you all so much For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember...
0: The Force will be with you. Always.